1: In the NBA, the game can change in an instant. But no matter how the action unfolds, DraftKings Sportsbook has your back. This week, new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting five bucks on basketball. Win or lose, you get an instant up. They even have great same-game parlays. So many different ways to bet the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. New customers can get 150 instantly in bonus bets For betting just $5 on basketball, only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See draftkings.com/sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope all of you guys are having a great week. Quick show today. We're just going to hit one game, the Warriors-Kings game from last night. Then we're going to do a deep dive on the Sacramento Kings. who have won eight of their last ten games on the strength of really good defense. Yes, you heard that correctly. It's been a while since we've said something like that about a Sacramento Kings team, right? But we're going to do a deep, deep, uh, deep dive on the Sacramento Kings. And then I've got four mailbag questions for the end of the show as well. Also, for those of you guys who did not know, earlier today, I did an hour and a half of additional... Analysis with the guys from Nerd Sesh here at the Volume. Those of you guys who have been following this show for a while know Carson and Logan. They've been on my show several times. I've been on their show several times. Go over to the Nerd Sesh feed, and like I said, there's an hour and a half of additional analysis. We talked Lakers at the start. We did a deep dive on the Phoenix Suns. We did a deep dive on the Milwaukee Bucks. We ranked the top five guards from the 2020 draft. Talk a lot of Tyrese Halliburton and Tyrese Maxey and Anthony Edwards and Lamelo Ball and Desmond Bain and we even went over some of the other guards that are at the tail end of that draft. We talked a lot about Nikola Jokic and and the season that he's having this year. Just a ton of stuff with the Nerd Sesh guys. Like I said, over an hour and a half. Highly encourage you guys that are fans of this show to go over to the Nerd Sesh YouTube feed and click on that video. Support those guys. uh, Subscribe to their channel as well. They do great content. We're going to be having them on our show next week as well. But yeah, just Warriors-Kings, Kings Deep Dive, and some mailbag stuff today. All other stuff around the league. Go over to the Nerd Sesh feed to get that. You guys know the joke. Before we get started, subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. Scroll down and hit that subscribe button. It would mean a lot to me. Don't forget about our podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts, under Hoops Tonight. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT. That's where I'm doing my film threads as well as show announcements. And then last but not least, for what I, uh, don't forget about my uh, mailbag questions. Drop mailbag questions in the YouTube comments so that we can continue to hit those later on in the week. All right, let's talk some basketball. So Warriors come out looking great. Draymond's back. Go up 24 but then Gary Payton tore his calf muscle, as we just found out. He's going to be out for a long time. Completely changed the dynamic of the game. That specifically, because that unit, that that uh, Steph Clay, Wiggins with Gary Payton and Draymond, that was the unit that was uh, playing such dominant basketball there towards the tail end of the second quarter. So Gary Payton goes out. Chris Paul hurts himself at the beginning of the game. I think it's just lower leg soreness. So I think he's going to be fine. So you're getting a lot of Corey Joseph minutes in there. The bench unit in particular was having a, a hell of a time uh, containing Malik Monk and Darren Fox in pick and roll. And then the Kings were blitzing Steph Curry, which again, like, here's the thing. The Warriors have seen blitzes of Steph Curry a million times, right? But sometimes a quick, you know, scheme change like that can buy you a short period of time where they're at a rhythm while they're adjusting to the new scheme, Right. And it's one of those things where, like, I'm a big fan of throwing curveballs like that, even if they're not necessarily long-term solutions, just because they can buy you an opportunity to maybe make a couple of plays that can change the dynamic of the game. And that's basically what happened. You know, like, there was a quick 7-0 run at the end of the first half, and then they took over in that third quarter. And a big part of it is just you threw them out of rhythm for just a minute by blitzing Steph Curry, and then from there you got going And all of a sudden you're confident, all of a sudden you're flying around on defense, the perimeter defense intensity picks up, Malik Bunk and De'Aaron Fox are now feeling great, they're getting downhill, they're getting to the rim, the game completely changes, right? But despite all of that, the Warriors were still up by six on Curry free throws with a minute and 31 seconds left, kind of a weird call where uh, Steph just went down and set a pin down and then just fell over on his face and, and and got two free throws for it. Makes two free throws. They're up by six with one minute and 31 seconds left. And then this was the the remainder of the game from there. So again, minute and a half, two full possessions, six points. Malik Monk gets Steph Curry in pick and roll. And Steph, I clipped all these plays you could see in the thread that I put on my Twitter feed. But uh, Steph has opened up way to Malik Monk's left-hand side to try to get over the top of the screen. So when he's opened up this far, a simple crossover move in his body is just going to be completely out of position to cross over. And so Monk hits him with the left to right. Demonis Sabonis flips the angle of the screen. So Steph just completely runs into the screen. Malik Monk is downhill. Throws a whip pass across the court because he engages the low man in that case whips a a pass across the court to Sasha Vizankov. There's a rotation. Pass goes to the top of the key to Andrew Wiggins. And Steph, after dying on the screen, did not make the additional rotation. That was his rotation to the top of the key. Just basically stopped playing on that possession. And De'Aaron Fox got a wide-open three on the left wing, and he knocks it down. On the other end of the floor... Draymond Green misses the three from the top of the key. Wiggins gets two back on an offensive rebound putback, right? But then right after that possession on the left wing, Darren Fox, straight ISO of Andrew Wiggins, just beats him off the dribble to the left. Straight line drive. Looney's out of position. He ends up picking up a foul. Fox makes one out of two free throws. So now it's a four-point game. From there... Steph turns the ball over in the backcourt. This is everyone's fault. Steph makes a bad read, not seeing the uh, uh, the defender jump in the passing lane in front of Klay Thompson, but Andrew Wiggins and uh, Kevon Looney are in the backcourt, or uh, I should say in the frontcourt. And as soon as they see that the Kings are trapping, they need to – run up and make a target for themselves as a release valve for Steph. There is no release valve. If you look at the Kings, they jumped that Clay Thompson passing lane, but the other guys were denied. There was no other pass for Steph to make. He was trapped. Now, it's it, it, just a simple matter of half, uh, Excuse me, execution in the details at the end of a basketball game, right? Missing a rotation – And then the whole team not being prepared for backcourt pressure, which you know is going to come when you have a big lead in the final minute. That's their only way to win the game. Force a turnover. Try to make something happen. In the ensuing chaos, really nice pump fake sidestep three from Malik Monk. That gets it back to a one-point game. And then Draymond Green turns it over on a back cut from Klay Thompson, a fake back cut. Again, both of their faults. Draymond should not have thrown the pass in a really tight situation like that, up one in the final minute, unless it's very clearly open. But Clay Thompson, one of the most consistent messages I got from coaches in college was never fake a back cut. The reason why you never fake a back cut is because it's difficult to communicate with the ball handler. If you fake it, he's thinking you're running. Back cuts are weird in the sense that you're pretty much throwing people open, right? Like if you wait for the cutter to actually get open – a lot of times the defense can react to that. So you almost, you're almost you always throwing people open on back cuts. You're never supposed to fake a back cut. So another execution error from Draymond Green and Klay Thompson leads to a turnover. And then on the other end, honestly, I thought it was really nice defense from Andrew Wiggins against Malik Monk, cutting him off on his middle drive and forcing him to kind of reach back and shoot a wild shot over the top of a good contest from Andrew Wiggins, and he just made it. And then on the final possession, Steph Curry brings the ball up the floor and hunts a three-point shot. And Kevin Herter ends up abandoning Klay Thompson on the right wing with three seconds left. I thought he had time to make the pass. Didn't hit him. I mean, hard to get too upset about that um, because at the end of those games, it's always like a tough call when you see how much time is left. It's a, it's really difficult to, in that split second, make a decision about whether or not there's enough time to make that pass. But I thought he could have. Didn't matter, though. Steph took the, the deep three. And he missed it. But it's funny because we have a tendency to overreact to singular you know, possessions, which can determine a basketball game, right? But a lot of times those singular possessions aren't reflective of a basketball team in the large scheme, right? Like when I look at this particular game, I'm not worried about so much the late game stuff from the Warriors because it's just unusual, right? Like Steph Curry is the guy who usually carries you home. So, you're not, you're not, you know, you, there's no adjustment you need to make other than the fact that Steph's not going to do that next time, right? So, it's more important for us to look in at the specific basketball things. And I do think that there are some specific basketball things that the Kings can do that give the Warriors some problems. I don't think it's a coincidence that they pushed the Warriors to seven last year with these specific issues. The Warriors have good wing defenders. They have a lot of bodies that are between 6'7 and 6'9 that can guard other wings, right? Andrew Wiggins is one of the best in the league at it when he's right, right? Moses Moody is a guy that can really slide his feet and contain on the perimeter. Jonathan Kaminga is a guy. If you give him a really focused on-ball assignment, he can have some success there. Gary Payton, though, is pretty much the only guard on the team that is capable of holding his own against a good guard athlete. And one of the issues there is because they don't have great guards defensively, they're put in a lot of positions where they're in rotation and out of position. And so as a result, they foul a lot. They fouled a lot last night. And I know, look... Warriors fans are just like Lakers fans. They're entirely convinced that they are victims of bad officiating. And you guys know how I feel about that? Like, in my opinion, blaming officiating is a loser mentality. It's It's completely ridiculous to think that this entire entity of officials is against your franchise when, like, you have to understand that the people who are officials and i'm critical of officials we're going to talk about officials later but i'm critical officials of officials in the grand scheme of things and specific types of calls that they're calling around the league but as an entity officials in the same way that we take our job seriously all of us in all of our respective fields they take their job seriously and they're they're trying to be fair now or do they over involve themselves in games sure but they're trying to be fair and like the warriors They are 27th in opponent free throws allowed per 100 possessions this year. They were 23rd last year. When they won the title in 2022, they were 26th. The year before that, they were 29th. That's four consecutive years being a bottom 10 team when it comes to fouling shooters. It is a a Golden State Warriors fouling problem that starts at the point of attack. They are out of position too frequently defensively. That is the problem. When you hear Steve Kerr talk about the Warriors, what does he say? Does he say there's a refing problem? Or does he say there's a fouling problem? He always says there's a fouling problem. Because that locker room is not full of losers. It's full of winners. And they all have winner mentalities. And their winner mentality is, we are in control of our own destiny on this front. If we do a better job, we will not foul. How did Looney get... Fouled on that, uh, uh, get the foul on that final possession from Deer and Fox driving to the basket, one of the late ones in the final minutes, because Andrew Wiggins got absolutely toasted at the point of attack, and it was a straight line drive downhill. Like there was another one on Dario Sarge that I disagree with. There was a, it was a, and again, when you watch games, you're always going to be able to nitpick specific calls. Like, I saw calls, uh, specific videos floating around on Twitter. And what this is, this is what confirmation bias is. There are dozens of bad calls in every single NBA game. So, if you have convinced yourself that your team is a victim of poor officiating, you will be able to find clips. But I guarantee you there were Kings fans watching that game last night that were super pissed off when Steph Curry got two free throws to put him up 121 to 115, setting a pin down screen and falling over onto his elbows. Like, that's the point. Like, it is, you're, you're going, if you want to go searching for bad calls, you'll find them. They happen in every single NBA game. They happen in every single crunch time of every single NBA game. You could argue a missed call plays a role in every single crunch time basketball game that ever takes place. But at the end of the day, that's just part of the game. And in the big picture, when you zoom out, there's a lot of missed calls. There's a lot of correct calls. They tend to pretty typically affect each team relatively evenly on any given one night. You might get a rougher whistle or a better whistle, but that sort of thing evens out over the 82. And you see clear data that demonstrates that the Warriors foul too much. It's it's a pretty significant problem. Now, on the flip side of that, to give the Kings credit, this is what they're best at. They space you out. And they have two guys that everyone in the league struggles to keep in front off the dribble in Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox. Kings fans will remember after that series, that was my major takeaway. Was like, wow, they have a real foundation here. Nobody can guard De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk. Malik Monk, final possession against one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. Gets to his spot, knocks down a shot. It was against pretty damn good defense, but he made a shot anyway. And Andrew Wiggins, I think... Struggles a little bit against some of the smaller, quicker guards. That's what's a little tough with this roster, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But like this is what the this is what the Kings do. And they've specifically had a lot of success this year setting ball screens further away from the basket. This has been a, a pretty consistent counter that I've seen around the league for ball pressure. So think of it like this like a lot of times you won't guard iffy shooters that far away from the basket. Right. And I would say De'Aaron Fox, who's a good shooter at this point, he's shooting the ball pretty well this year, but like he's one of those guys that like you'd rather give a pull up jump shot to, right? But the tricky part is, is like a lot of coaches really want to apply ball pressure for obvious reasons. If you apply ball pressure, it can get teams to slowly get the ball across half court, which cuts into their time in the shot clock. It's a good rhythm disruptor. In general, I think it serves to make ball handlers less comfortable, which can help you you know, force them into lesser games because they're not as confident, not as comfortable, not as, you know, free-flowing as they're used to being. But one of the counters to that is if you apply ball pressure that far away from the basket and you set a ball screen there, it can put that on-ball defender in a really bad, a really tough predicament. And the Kings have been killing teams with this, not just regular ball screens that far away from the basket, but they also run this like kind of they run it out of horns. where they'll have like Harrison Barnes and Demontis Sabonis basically come up to Darren Fox right at the top of the key, but like it out to like 30, 35 feet. And they'll just both screen the, the on ball defender. And then Sabonis will roll downhill super hard and Harrison Barnes will pop out to the three point line. And they just absolutely kill teams with that as well. But like, this is the thing that this this particular team, this is the predicament they put you in. I, always talk about, I was talking with the NerdStash guys today when we were talking about the top-tier contenders. Like Every team kind of has their identity, the stuff they're good at, the stuff they're bad at. I think Sabonis got exposed a little bit last year in the playoffs as a power player who struggles to bully good defenses on the front line. But it pretty clearly stood out that, hold on, they're actually capable of being better defensively on the point of attack than they were for most of the season? And they're actually really, really difficult to guard when they're spread out because how easy it is for their guards to beat people downhill. And I think, I think, like, coming out of that playoff run, if you guys remember, I talked about how the two guards was an excellent foundation, but they had to find a way to get more stops than they were getting, right? This is where I want to move into the Kings deep dive a little bit because, again, if we look, Kings have won 8 out of 10. The two they lost were to the Pelicans, and they got just absolutely sliced and diced by Zion Williamson in those games. And if you really look at their roster, that's like the one positional archetype that they're just not set up to handle, right? And the Kings have some gaping flaws. That's why I don't consider them to be a top-tier contender, right? Um, but outside of those ten, ga- uh, those two games, these are the other wins over that 10-game stretch. They beat the Warriors last night, Right. They went into Minnesota and blew out the Timberwolves. They're one of my top-tier contenders. They went into Dallas, blew out the Mavericks. They went into Los Angeles and blew out the Lakers. That's one of my top-tier contenders. Then they beat the Cavs and the Thunder at home. They've been probably the most impressive team in the league over the last two or three weeks. So, like, this is not... This is, <laughs> this is, this is a team that's playing basketball as well, if not better, than anybody in the league right now. How? How are they doing it? What I think is super fascinating is they're only 10th in offense over this span. Only 10th in offense over a span where they've been one of the best teams in the league. 8 out of 10 wins. And the reason why is because they're defending. They're defending and they're competing on the glass at a much higher level than they have in the regular season in the past. They are 13th in defensive rating over this 10-game span. And before you go, oh, Jason, 13th is not anything – what were the teams they played? Look at the teams they played. They played a boatload of good playoff teams and had a the 13th best defensive rating over that span. I don't think that's a coincidence. And the big thing that's standing out to me on tape is just commitment from the perimeter defenders. This is a team that has a lot of speed and length on the perimeter. And so when those guys do their job – it's an easier job for the interior players, right? They're actually doing a particularly great job of chasing teams off the three-point line. I talk about this a lot in terms of defensive foundations. You need to be either really good at protecting the paint or really good at protecting the three-point line. Preferably both. And the top defenses in the league are usually good at both. But you need to be able to be really good at at least one of them from a schematic standpoint. So, for instance, if you're a team that... Uh, if you're a team that struggles at the point of attack, you can still defend the paint well by having a really strong help and recover system. But you're probably going to give up a lot of backside threes. If you have a lot of perimeter speed and you struggle in terms of interior size, it actually makes sense to do what the Kings do and just chaotically chase everyone off the three-point line. Because that's your biggest advantage is perimeter speed. And so they're actually the third best team in the NBA over the last 10 games at guarding the three-point line. They're allowing just 31.1 three-point attempts per 100 possessions. That's insane. They're allowing just 16.8 wide-open threes per game in the last 10 games. That's the ninth-best mark in the NBA. And then in addition to that, they're doing an amazing job cleaning up the defensive glass. They're grabbing 74% of available defensive rebounds over this 10-game stretch. That's third-best in the NBA. So what I find super fascinating about this win streak is, like, they're making it a pain in the butt for everybody in the details. And they've actually been good, not great offensively. That, to me, is a really strong indicator of, like, an identity shift within this team that they're moving towards their strengths, which is we're fast as hell. So teams can't guard us on the perimeter, but we can flip that on them on the other end, too, and we can chase them off the three-point line and we can rotate which is exactly what they did to slow down the Warriors last night. In addition to that, several key guys are playing well. Kevin Herter, he was broke to start the season, but he's up to 44% from three on eight attempts per game over this 10 game span. Uh, On the season, he's shooting 66% in effective field goal percentage on pull-up jumpers way up from last year. And then he's one of those guys too, that's like doing a good job in the dirty work. He's, winning a lot of contested rebound battles he's making efforts on the perimeter defensively I think Herter's been really good Malik Monk is playing super well he's just I tell you I I I have as a Laker fan I I regret that we got him when we got him because we had no opportunity in hell to maintain uh to keep him because of uh the situation with the salary cap and where they were at with the Russell Westbrook situation. And so it was inevitable that he was going to leave. And it just, it's one of those things where, man, like he's literally exactly what the what the Lakers need right now in terms of offensive pop and, and uh, dynamic scoring ability, right? So Bonus has been incredible 10 game span, 21 points, 11 rebounds, eight assists. He's also making almost 40% of his catch and shoot jumpers this year, which is pretty significant considering teams basically just ignore him. Uh, Sasha Vizankov was awesome in this Warrior game. He's looking like a, a really smart addition. And then De'Aaron Fox is like flat out playing at a super a superstar level. The, he is going toe-to-toe with the best players in the league and beating them and confident and talking shit and having a good time. Like he's he's playing at an extremely high level right now. He's 54% on floaters this year. The, uh, the pull-up shooting is up from last year. Again, like specifically they're figuring out that these ball screens far away from the basket are just giving him too much of a head of steam. And when he gets ahead of steam, he has all the reads down and then he can stop short to make that floater and then he can get all the way to the basket. He's just one of those guys that like right now, with the actions that they're running and getting him those advantages that far away from the basket, he's one of the hardest players in the league to guard right now. It's that that's classic combination I always talk about of reliable pull up shooting with real downhill athleticism. But yeah, this is, this is the version of the King that can ma- Kings that can make noise in the playoffs. Not last year's version. This, this version can make noise. Only 10th in offense over this winning, this winning stretch. But 13th in defense, and they've been the third best defensive rebounding team in the league. This is the way. This is
0: the way. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats. That grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are
1: welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Toledano. of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, on the Warriors front. Um, now, important context here is that I am not Mr. Overreact to regular season stuff guy. I just have seen too many examples over the years of teams that dominate the regular season and then struggle in the playoffs. And uh, I see teams that struggle all year in the regular season and then beat dominant regular season teams. I mean, we literally saw this with the Warriors last year, with the Lakers last year, with the Miami Heat last year. It's a thing, right? Now, it's. I want to be careful with this because also, if we go back through NBA history, it's typically a all-time great player on a team that is dominating the regular season that wins the title. Right. If we go back, it's like it's last year. It's from day one. The nu- like the Nuggets are the one seed. Nuggets were the one seed. They won the title. Jokic is an all time great player. Right. Twenty 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 two. The Warriors ended up finishing with a three seed, but I think they started fifteen and one. They were the one seed basically most of the season until injuries struck. And remember, Steph ended up uh, uh, missing the tail end of the season with that foot sprain, which di- directly affected them in the standings. But the Warriors were a team that dominated the regular season that year for the most part. 2021, we have the Milwaukee Bucks one seed dominated the regular season that year. 2020, the Lakers one seed dominated the regular season that year. If you go back through NBA history, it's that combination: dominant regular season with a with a uh, uh, like an all time great, like pantheon type of of basketball player, right? And so I always have to be I have to balance the the reality of like I don't think the regular season is that important as it pertains to playoff success. But at the highest levels, in terms of like hoisting the trophy, it's typically a good indicator for you to be dominating the regular season, right? I wouldn't even say a good indicator; it's a it's a vital indicator in, in a lot of cases. But we have seen teams get very close without that, and so that's the thing. Like I uh, I I think the Warriors are very far; they're a very long way away from being like a championship favorite type of team. But I still, uh, it's going to take so much. For me to get to the point where I don't think this team is capable, where I don't put them on that tier. And there's a couple of specific things that, that I keep looking at. Like even forget about the big picture for a second. Let's just look at last night. You were blowing them out until Gary Payton got hurt. G- Gary Payton with Andrew Wiggins, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green was dominating that basketball game. Corey, uh, Corey Joseph had to play big fourth quarter minutes. He shot a pull-up jump shot. on Malik Monk got absolutely stuffed, which led to a run-out dunk for Malik Monk on the other end of the floor. Or uh, yeah, for Malik Monk on the other end of the floor. Like that's a huge swing in that game that doesn't happen if Chris Paul's out there. And if it's a playoff game, he's probably out there. Just, if I remember if i if I'm, if I'm uh, familiar enough with the situation, I believe Chris Paul was just dealing with soreness and was just playing it safe. And despite all of that, despite everything I just said, you still win that game if you don't make several crucial mistakes at the end, most of which came from your best players in Steph Curry and Draymond Green. Like, And it's a road game in Sacramento against the team that's arguably the best team in the league over the last three weeks, who's been blowing everybody out, including two top-tier contenders on my list over the last couple weeks. Like, That was a tough game to win anyway. The Kings were favored despite the fact that the Warriors have dominated that matchup forever. So, like, I'm not going to overreact to that game. Do I think the Warriors need to make a trade at some point? Yes. Especially now that the, um, the uh, Gary Payton injury has come down, right? But, like, I've been, telling, I've been telling Warriors fans that I think they need to make a trade to upgrade that forward spot that's between Andrew Wiggins and Draymond Green. I've been saying that forever. I was saying that during the championship season. If you guys remember, I literally was saying, like, you will have more margin for error if you make that trade. And then I had to apologize uh, to the Warriors front office and ownership after the season because they ended up not needing it, right? But, like, like that, th- my take on this stuff is always, like, increase your odds where you have an opportunity. Push your chips in. That's always my point of view. Now they literally have to because of the Gary Payton injury. But even if Gary Payton in- it did not get hurt – And even if the Warriors were 10 and 5 right now, you know, or something way over 500, I still would be sitting here saying, like, yeah, they should probably make a trade because they have some personnel weaknesses and they are things that they need to upgrade. They need more speed, they need more athleticism. Ideally, in my opinion, Andrew Wiggins is on the up and up. This is the thing there's a lot of upside here, guys. They have played the toughest schedule in the league, they have a 55% opponent win percentage, by far the highest in the league. They have the fourth easiest remaining schedule as a result. That's a big that's a big positive thing to look forward to, right? There are going to be a lot of easy games on the schedule in the future. Andrew Wiggins is waking up. Two massive scoring outbursts in his last four games. So is Clay. Clay had zero 20-point games in the first 14 games of the season. He's had 3 in the last 4. That's a great sign. Moses Moody, who's going to be playing a lot now that Gary Payton's out, he looked great last night in that fourth quarter. I would have closed with him over Kavon Looney. And then Draymond Green's jump shot. He's shooting 64% in effective field goal percentage on jump shots this year. That, like, and he's barely played. Like, even when you're looking at the record, it's like, how how should we evaluate the Warriors? Should we evaluate them with Draymond or without Draymond? Because if we're evaluating this chunk of games, it's been mostly without Draymond. That's the fact, right? So, all of that stuff to me is trending in the positive direction. But even with all of that, even if they were sitting at a much better record right now, I would still be recommending a trade to upgrade specific roster groups. Because I've, I've said this, I said this with the nerd sesh guys today. I have my top tier contenders, and right now I have them listed at the Nuggets at one, Celtics at two, Bucks at three, Lakers, Suns, Wolves, Warriors is where I'm at. But like, I think there's a little bit of a gap between the top three and the bottom four. I think it. I think once you go A Nuggets Celtics, I think there's even a little gap between Celtics and Bucks, and then there's a a little gap, and then it's Lakers and the rest of the group. All of those teams in the in that lower level, in my opinion, are a trade away from being in that tier with all those guys. You just now are in a more serious predicament because Gary Payton's out. I'd be looking at guys like Jeremy Grant. I'd be looking at guys at. Like Laurie Markkinen, I mean, who knows? Maybe if the uh, you know the Hawks are having a lot of success with Jalen Johnson and, and Sadiq Bayes on a in a contract year, maybe you can get, maybe you can. I don't know. Who knows if they're preferring De- De- uh, DeAndre Hunter or Sadiq Bay in the long run? But maybe you can steal one of their wings. I don't know. You, but they need a big forward that's bigger than Wiggins, that's a good athlete and a plus offensive player that they can slot between Andrew Wiggins and Draymond Green. That is the one thing, in my opinion, that will push this team over the top. Like, way over the top. And, and so, like, th- you're that close. You're still within striking distance. You needed to make a deal, so do the Lakers. The Lakers' entire championship potential this year comes down to what D'Angelo Russell trade they make. The Bucks, in my opinion, their entire championship potential this year comes down to whether or not they can upgrade the Malik Beasley position. Right? Like, th- th- all of this stuff is, is normal for teams that are at the top of the league. The difference is, is the Warriors have had bad injury luck. They've had bad uh, uh, suspension luck, obviously with Draymond Green. They, I mean, Draymond had the injury and the suspension, so he's barely played. You know, Steph Curry randomly missed two games, and, and you ended up losing both of them. Clay Thompson was playing like shit. Dr- uh, Andrew Wiggins was playing like shit, and you played the hardest schedule in the league. So of course you're gonna you're gonna look up and be like, oh man, we're a couple games under 500. That's not that's not to me some sort of uh, of death sentence. It's just not. I I I still believe you know Clay Thompson after the game last night was like I still believe this group can do special things. I 100% agree. Your core guys, Draymond, Wiggins, Clay, Steph, they they are they are what you need at those position groups. You just need an upgrade at that four spot. You need like um we we learned this in the Lakers series last year, but against the teams are starting to figure out that uh, with Draymond Green and Kevon Looney on the floor, there's just not enough offense, and so they find ways to guard. And I mean, you saw that again at the end of that Kings game last night when Steph was really struggling to get any openings, right? So, like at a certain point, a plus offensive player who's also big and a great athlete at that four spot literally fixes all their problems. It's it's something that I uh, uh, that I that I think this this season hinges on at this point. But no, I. I I've seen, I saw a Warriors fan say something along the lines of like, everyone's up to be traded except for Steph. And I'm like, what? Like, why would you blow the team up over less than a fourth of the season with the type of luck you've had and the schedule you've played? I just don't get it. But again, like, I'm not, uh, there there are certain things that people who listen to the show should know about me. I'm not the guy to go to if you want to hear me bitch and moan about the refs in terms of like, uh, I will bitch and moan about the refs, but not about specific teams. I'll bitch about them in the big picture. And I'm not the guy to come to if you want to have me overreact to regular season results. I'm just not that guy. I like, I, I, I have just seen too much in the regular season in in, in huge sample sizes to feel differently in that regard. All right, let's move on to the mailbag. Hey, Jason, I'm curious about star versus role player growth. Take Stephen Clay for instance, lifelong Warriors fan, excuse me. Every year as Steph loses some quickness, the league adapts to his game plan and his need for elite ball handling ramps up in the playoffs. He seems to add exactly the thing to keep him effective: strength, elite ball handling, pick and roll mastery, etc. On the other hand, Clay loses some of his athleticism and he seems to degrade as a player. The loss of his step makes him a less effective defender and he doesn't seem to have the same separation he used to get that made his hot streaks unstoppable. But he doesn't seem to add pieces to make up for these losses. Is there some difference in what's asked of stars and role players that leads the former to adapt and grow and the latter to stagnate and degrade? Really good question. Um, I, you know, I have another question later on. I'll just read you the question real quick. It's the third mailbag question. Why has Anthony Davis's jump shot regressed so much? Is the third question. And this is what I would say. When you're talking about the the real all-time greats. And I'm talking Steph and LeBron, right? I have both of them in my top five perimeter players of all time. you're talking Jokic, you're talking, you know, Kevin Durant, you're talking these, these like all these like top 20 all-time players. If you start to compare them to anybody else, you're going to, it's just a ridiculous standard. And what I mean by that is like, imagine the level of psychotic competitiveness it takes to be as good as these guys are to where like specifically Steph LeBron and and Jokic, those three guys are the three most inevitable, unstoppable offensive playoff offensive players that I've seen in my lifetime. And they, they like when they were at their best. Specifically, when the Braun was at his best. He's older now, but like Stefan Jokic are still there. It's like they have patched every single hole in their offense and have made it so that there is no coverage that works. There's no, there's no personal type of defender that works. There's no nothing that works. It took psychotic competitiveness to get to that point. It's not like they get old and they would accept it. That same psychotic competitiveness kicks in that causes them to evolve and adapt. And, like, a lot of times we forget that there's levels to that even within the NBA. Like, there are 450 NBA players. Do you think all 450 of them are psychotic competitors? No. There's levels to it. Like, Clay and Anthony Davis, for instance. Those are guys that are very competitive, and they're winners, and they're foxhole guys, and they're tough, and they're good leaders, and they're good teammates, and they're all of those things. But, like, like, the gap there's still a gap there between those guys and what those all-time great Pantheon type of guys do. And so like, I think a lot of times it's what I, I, what I'm saying is with that specific Steph clay dynamic, I wouldn't focus so much on, 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 on what clay is doing and what he's not doing and more just put the appreciation on Steph for what he is, which is an outlier in NBA history. One of the all-time greats, like 450 players in the league over, What is this? The, the, like, I mean, it's been like seven or eight decades of NBA basketball now. So, I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of players. And then there's like these 15 to 20 guys that are just at another level. And and so, I, I don't think it's realistic to expect the other guys to be wired the way that those guys are wired for the same reason where it's like, you know, Tom Brady can do all the podcasts he wants, and he can tell the young quarterbacks, like, hey, you got to do this, you got to do that, like, this is your professional, blah, blah, blah. None, I, most of them aren't going to work as hard as Tom Brady. They just won't. They won't because Tom Brady is a psychopath, which is why he has seven Super Bowls, right? So, like, a, a, lot, a lot of this time, a lot of these situations, we just kind of have to acknowledge the stars for what they are, which is outliers in the human experience. I had a bunch of people, I didn't pick a specific question, but I had at least, like, six or seven people, uh, bitching and moaning in the comments that I didn't have the Suns in my power rankings, uh, last on Monday. Okay. So I wanted to address that real quick. Uh, it's really simple. The, there were a lot of teams that I considered in that top 10. There's like, there's a lot of really good teams in the league. There's like, I don't know the top off the top of my head, there's like 17 or 18 teams that have like legitimate cases to be top 10, right. Uh, based on their, uh, based on their records, the Suns have played by far the easiest schedule in the league. They're like the opposite of the Warriors. When Devin Booker made that game winner against the Knicks the other night, that was just the second time this season that the Suns beat a team that was 500 or better. These are the other teams in the league that have two or fewer wins against teams that are 500 or better. The Knicks, who are the team that the Suns beat in that game, The Jazz, the Hornets, the Blazers, the Bulls, the Grizzlies, the Wizards, the Pistons. So I'm just going to be honest with you. This has absolutely nothing to do with what the Suns are capable of in the big picture. I'm excited when the Suns finally start playing real teams for us to talk about what they're capable of. But to this point, they've had a cupcake schedule. They've beat every bad team they've played for the most part, except for that one crazy game against the Spurs, right? And then they every time they've gone up against a good team, they've lost, except for the Knicks game, right? And then the Warrior. I think there was one other. I can't remember what the other win was. But, like, they've struggled. They've struggled to beat winning teams. They're two and four in the six game. The small sample size we have of them playing winning teams, they're two and four. Like, even the Lakers, who have had their issues against winning teams, they've won five games against winning teams. So, like, they've won five games, and they beat the Suns twice. So, like, if you're expecting me to bump the Lakers down for a Suns team because they have one more regular season win uh, or two more regular season wins when they haven't played anybody, like, I'm not going to do that. And if I was going to bump the Lakers for somebody else, it'd be there are like, three or four other teams I would have picked before the Suns. And, like, again... it's a long season guys. Like they, everybody plays 82 games. Everybody plays the good teams eventually. So like if the Suns get to that point and they're still winning and Brad Beal comes back and you know, everyone's out there and they're healthy and they're playing good basketball, they're going to win games. And then they will be in my power rankings. I have no interest in, in, uh, um, I have no interest in, in like personal vendettas against any team. That's just not the case. I'm going to call out who I think is playing the best right now. For instance, like, the I, one of the big reasons why I'm not all that intense on the Warriors right now is guess who was fourth in my power rankings on Monday? The Sacramento Kings. I think they're awesome, and so a road game against the Sacramento Kings is going to be a really tough one to win, right? So like, uh, but yeah, like I, I'm going to be doing the power rankings every single Monday moving forward, and I'm go- when it comes to teams that have similar records, I'm going to be looking at the quality of the opponents they've won- uh, uh, played. A heavy emphasis on the previous week because I want it to be reflective of the uh, of the who's playing the best basketball right now, right? And that, yeah, like that's going to be a tiebreaker for me. Like, what is your like? What kind of wins are you putting up at this point? As I've said, like one of the people said in the comments are like they've won seven games in a row. Like, how could you ignore that? And I want to be like, yeah, they won seven games in a row against bad teams. What do I what do I say? Are the driving forces between bad stretches and good stretches? Nobody goes and wins a bunch of games in a row against good teams. Even the Kings, who kind of did, dropped two against the Pelicans, right? That's the point. Whenever you actually play seven or eight tough games in a row, the good teams go like five and three. And the okay teams go like three and five, right? Like, that's what happens. When you rip off a bunch of wins, it's usually easy schedule, healthy roster. When you drop a bunch of games, it's usually guys down with injury playing a tougher schedule, right? So we got to like kind of sift through some of that data, especially when we have this many good teams cuz we're splitting hairs in all of these cases. The Suns are still in my list of top tier contenders. So I'm not over here saying that they can't win. Of course I'm saying they can win. Now, if you're looking for more basketball analysis surrounding the Suns and specific things I've noticed, Go over to the Nerd Sesh feed. Did an hour and a half with them today. Talked tons of sons' specific issues that I'm worried about. Third mailbag question: Why has Anthony Davis's jump shot regressed so much? In your opinion, I've thought a lot about this. I've heard people say muscle. I've heard people say injuries. Blah blah blah. blah. To me, the big one is uh, is the time he takes off every offseason. From what I've heard, the dude takes two months off every single off season at the beginning of, uh, of the uh, summer. And I'm a big believer that like, specifically when it comes to jump shooting, it's very rhythm based. It is like tinkering. And like, it's one thing to take a week or two off. It's one thing to take a vacation, but like, even when you're taking time off, you should be working on your jump shot in my opinion. And I think, I think the people that are truly great transcendent jump shooters around the league are all obsessive about it. And they work about, they work on it. You know, they're like, Oh, I'm going to take an easy week. I'm going to, give my legs a break. Those dudes are still shooting three, four times that week. Like that, like it's, it's such an important part of like polishing and, in and tinkering with your, with your form and tinkering with your muscle memory. And just, it's like a perfectionist attitude. Right. And like Anthony Davis is one of those guys that like, like, I don't think he necessarily views his jump shot as that important to his game, which I would disagree, but that's clearly the way he feels. Watch the way he's shooting, but it becomes a problem, right? When he's hit missing every, uh, pick and pop jump shot that he takes. And he's, when he's catching those little short, you know, pocket passes around 12 to 15 feet, he's missing those jumpers. It's a problem. And, and like, at the end of the day, this is where I'm saying like, don't hold him to the LeBron James, Steph Curry standard in terms of competitiveness and obsessive work because that's just silly. Anthony Davis is not that guy, right? Like he's something below that, right? And so I've just kind of grown to accept it at this point, um, rooting for the Lakers. Last question: What can the NBA do about the rules so that we don't have so many games with seventy-plus free throws? Having the game stop every minute for a foul and some free throws is just unwatchable. Totally agree. I think it's a huge problem in the league right now. In terms of fixing it, it really is this simple to me. I would, you know, how like the standard of proof idea, right? So, like, uh, if you're being uh, uh, accused of something in court at different places around the world, there's a different standard of proof, right? And essentially, it's like a, a moving goalpost. And like, the, they inform the jury, like, hey, this is the standard of proof, like they need to uh, demonstrate within this realm of possibility that there was guilt. And depending on the country, depending on the political system, depending on the legal system, there's this, there's this, goal line that they have to reach, right? And then the jury will make a call from there, or the judge will make a call from there, right? Well, like, that's kind of the way I look at it with officiating. Right now, they are are calling defensive fouls on a whim, way too frequently. And so as a result, you're seeing dozens of calls every single night where it's like what like nothing even happened there specifically the one that's killing me is like the hard dribble move to one direction dude slides his feet takes a little bit of contact in the chest and the dude just throws the ball up and he gets two free throws like that's driving me insane at this point so what i would do is i would raise the standard of proof to where it's like you do not blow the whistle unless it is very clearly a foul because above and beyond what it should be considered fair for defense, they're obsessed with scoring for the television product. I would argue that freedom of movement, uh, or I should say the stoppages of play are more important than the freedom of movement. They want freedom of movement. So the game's high flying and exciting and all this cool shit's happening. But in the process, it's a terrible watch because dudes are going to the line all the time. And again, this is where the competitiveness comes in. We have these competitors that are doing everything they can to win these games, right? And so, of course, they're taking advantages of the uh, advantage of the rules, right? If you drop the standard to where the 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 ref does not call the foul unless they are one thousand percent certain that the, a physical altercation took place that disrupted that a player's ability to, you know, uh, to make the shot in a significant manner, essentially like moving the the margin a little bit. I believe that yes, there would be a lot more uncalled fouls and yes, there'd be some offensive players that get pissed off and yes, there'd be some more lower scoring games, but the actual television product would be better because it would flow on TV and you wouldn't be going to the line every five seconds. I think it's a huge problem in the NBA. I think, I think it's like one of the biggest ones standing in the way of the NBA's long term success. They need to shorten the regular season. And they need to fix the officiating. I think if those two particular things, with how good the league is right now from a talent standpoint, the in-season tournament has been a hit, the play the, uh, um, playing tournament's been a hit, if they can fix those issues, uh, if they could fix specifically the officiating and the length of the regular season, I think the league could explode around the globe at that point. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. We'll be back tomorrow with some more instant reactions. I will see you guys then.
0: Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with
1: 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve With Discover, limitations apply. See terms at discover.com/slash credit card.
0: Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK systems that's through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.